0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones.
1: Before we jump into today's content, I have something I want to share with you. In a recent 2019 CEO benchmark study conducted by the predictive index, CEOs disclosed that four out of five top challenges they face relate to talent optimization. To win consistently, you need confidence. Confidence that you've got the right people in the right roles, that they're deployed around the right projects and that those projects are mapped to the right organizational objectives. And you need more than gut level confidence. You need data to back that up. But the truth is the rapid pace of change is exhausting. People and systems are being pushed to the edge and diversity, equality, and inclusion issues remain unresolved. In this age of empathy, we can do better. That's why I'm super excited about a new talent optimization platform that Ben Straup, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions and a certified partner with the Predictive Index, is ready to show you. This technology-enabled, data-driven platform will give you an unfair advantage so you can win and succeed more. Visit peoplegetresults.com and use the code RAINMAKER to schedule your free personalized assessment and demo today. That's peoplegetresults.com and don't forget to use the code RAINMAKER today. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I am delighted to be here today with Tony Martinetti, the founder of Martinetti Plan Giving Advisors, a firm that works side-by-side with nonprofits to help them develop and execute plan-giving programs. Since its inception, Tony has helped clients raise over $100 million through plan-giving. He also happens to be the host of the number one rated podcast for nonprofits, the Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Hey, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you
0: very much, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation today. I'm really looking forward to getting into the new program that you've just developed, the Plan Giving Accelerator. But before we do that, I want to get your take on on something that I think is a really interesting trend that I've been seeing lately, particularly, I think, as COVID started. and, And I'm curious to hear your take on this. I've seen a lot of people having conversations about revisiting their estate plans, revisiting you know their will and things like that. And I'm curious to know what you're seeing in the market related to that and how it impacts plan giving.
0: All you have to do, Andrew, is Google wills pandemic surge and you will see scores and scores of articles uh, about individual law firms being deluged, about regional law firms in regions being deluged with requests by by their clients to reevaluate their estate plan it's true people are thinking about their mortality in ways that they haven't since maybe you know since they first did their will Um, so that's on the individual side it's on people's minds and on the organizational side i feel like it it is now a permissible time to reinvigorate those planned giving asks you know there were several months uh, i'd say april may june that um it wasn't appropriate. You know, we, I had some clients uh, cancel planned giving solicitation mailings Mm -hmm. that we had planned. Uh, We just defer those to later this year. Uh, And we were just in a listening mode, you know, talking to donors and potential donors about how they're doing in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, Lots of listening, no asking. I feel like that, that that has evolved into, you know, it being an okay time now to get back to Planned giving asks. Okay, so that's on the individual side and on the organizational side. I, I think that the, the time is right and it's, it's things are aligned.
1: So, so let's talk about the timing piece for a second, because there are a whole lot of organizations I feel like that have never even thought about getting into plan giving. Right, it's just it's like it's not even in the consideration set for them. Yeah, is it too late?
0: No, it's never too late. No, the the problem that keeps most organizations out. What I've heard, I've been, I've been in plan giving since 1997. They think it's too technical that they have to have a lawyer on the board advising, or they need to hire a lawyer, or they also, they think they have to spend a lot of money. And then another thing that that puts people off is a fear of talking about death. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't
0: want to talk to donors about their deaths. Right. Those are all misconceptions. It, it it's not too late it's never too late to start planned giving you don't need a lot of expertise it's not technical it's not over your head if you start the right way it it's a very simple ask you do not have to spend a lot of money and you're definitely not talking to donors about their deaths you're talking about what their giving can do for the long-term sustainability of your mission your values their planned gift is going to be a natural extension of the giving they're already doing when you're talking to the right people. And all these things are what I created planned giving accelerator to help people with, to show you that you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to have an expert on your staff or, or on your board. And you're not talking about death.
1: You know, it's, I'm so glad to hear you say all that because those are all the things that, you know, I, I, I've been in this world for 20 years now. And every time I talk to an organization about plan giving, unless they're already doing it and already successful, the first thing I hear is we don't have the budget to hire a lawyer. Yeah, And the next thing is usually, wait a minute. I'm afraid that, you know, if I start talking to my donors about when they die, they'll just never talk to me again because it'll be so uncomfortable. Yeah. So so let's talk about the lawyer piece first, you know, with that misconception being there, talk a little bit about what organizations can do, without a lawyer on staff? Like what, where should they be starting? What should they be thinking about instead?
0: Ideal question. The place to start your planned giving program is with charitable bequests, those gifts by will. So you're asking your, your donors, your planned giving prospects to put a gift for your organization alongside their husband, wife, children, and grandchildren. And as I said, when you're asking the right donors, this becomes a natural extension of their giving, the giving that they've been doing for a long time. That's the place to start. The reason you start with bequests, because it's the overwhelmingly most popular planned gift. You name any planned giving program in the country, I don't care, Uh, I'll I'll name all these and I'll be very confident in what I'm about to say. Harvard, Stanford, University of Chicago, University of Texas, uh, University of California system, New York Public Library, any any of the largest organizations you can think of, I guarantee you their planned giving program, 75 to 80% of the gifts are gifts by will. Mm -hmm. It's always the overwhelmingly majority gift. Lots of reasons for that. Wills are easy for people to understand. Everybody needs one. There's no lifetime cost. Donors know they can change their minds. Although very few do, like 4% change their minds. But these are all reasons that, wills are the most popular type of planned gift so that's the low hanging fruit that's the place to start your planned giving program that's what we're going to be doing in planned giving accelerator
1: okay great so let's talk a little bit then about the cost side of things and the the so i run into quite frequently other consultants and organizations who build out you know these fancy planned giving websites and they send all sorts of informational packets to donors but it feels to me, and I don't have data to support this, but it feels like those efforts can rarely be tied to an actual gift commitment. What's missing from that equation?
0: There's more to a planned giving program than a four-color brochure and a web page or two. You have to be actively promoting. You have to be proactive about your planned giving program, just the way you are with all your other asks, right? You're multi-channel in, in whatever campaigns you've got going uh, your annual fund, it's multi-channel. If if you have a major donor program, you're reaching out to those folks individually, asking. You need to be asking directly, proactively for planned gifts. It, it takes more than a brochure and a and a web page. That's the way to. That's the way to get the program going. And so you have to identify the right prospects, the same way you do with any other campaign. Sure. Right. Yep, you identify the prospects and then you develop your you know what channels you've got and you develop messaging through those channels to those prospects. It's the exact same thing you do in planned giving. You just need to be talking to the right prospects at the right time in in that's demonstrated by their giving and their ages. That's again what we're going to be doing in in planned giving accelerator, but that's the that's the way to get that that program started whether you're so- in the accelerator or not.
1: So let's talk about the Planned Giving Accelerator. I'm curious to know what prompted you to create it. Frustration. Okay, say more.
0: I want there to see, no, I'm leaving it there. No, just, (laughs) I want to see lots more planned giving programs. I want to see another, through the accelerator, I want to grow 1,000 or 1,500 new planned giving programs. And when those each scale up to, say, 100 gifts, then knowing that the average charitable bequest is about thirty-five thousand dollars in the US. That'll be at a minimum three and a half billion new dollars for US nonprofits. Wow. And those programs scale up to a hundred gifts each. Now that's not going to happen in the first year, but it will happen over years as members of the accelerator continuing the program and and build and, and expand these plan giving programs that, that we're going to create in the accelerator. So that's my main motivation. I want okay. a lot more planned giving. I want planned giving. I, I want it understood that it's, it's easy, it's accessible, and it's affordable.
1: Well, I'm all for increased generosity and, and we can you know, drop another $3 billion to the bottom line for nonprofits in the country. I think that'd be awesome. Talk yeah. a little bit about what's that program like? How does it work? What's the right kind of nonprofit that would fit in it? Like, give us some details.
0: Folks are going to join for a year. And I'm gonna walk them through the process of starting and growing their planned giving program. We're gonna have individual, or not individual, but uh, proprietary, exclusive content, uh, webinars, podcasts. As you said, I've been doing uh, Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Um, It's the number one podcast for nonprofits. I know how to podcast, I know how to create content. Um, I've been doing it through through Nonprofit Radio for 10 years. So podcasting and webinars, no problem. They'll be exclusive to members. We'll have resources like uh, templates and checklists. We'll have small group ask me anything sessions, you know, all virtual, all with an eye toward getting these plan giving programs started. You're, You're most likely to succeed in plan giving accelerator if you've got at least five years history, the organization, and you've got some donors who are 55 and over. So there is going to be a little bit of vetting because I want to make sure that people have the foundation for for success in uh, in the accelerator.
1: And then you'll you'll actually personally walk alongside them for that year and and get them ready to start asking and and I assume even kind of coaching them through some of those asks, right?
0: Yeah, there'll be there'll be lots of small group sessions where people can ask me whatever questions they've got, whatever meetings they have coming up. Yes. Plenty of, plenty of opportunity to do those asks. And, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll start the marketing together within the first three months. The, the, the first promotions are gonna be going out. So first we're gonna identify the prospects, top prospects, and then a larger pool of more general prospects around planned giving, and then the marketing begins.
1: So let's, let's talk about the prospects for a second, because I think that's also, at least in conversations I have, often a confusion point. People, you know, organizations will say, well, you know, we know that some people will leave us in, in their will. And oftentimes we get left in an estate and we don't even recognize the name of the donor, right? What makes for a great planned gift prospect?
0: They love the work that you're doing and their love is exemplified by their giving. They've been giving to you for a long time, maybe even at a very small level, but for many, many years, they've been giving to your work to support your mission, support your values. Those are the best plan giving prospects because they think about you year after year and, and often, very, very often, multiple times a year. These may be small gifts. Some people don't like to use the word small, like say small donors, you know, sure. hey, modest, <laughs> euphemized, modest, All right, if you, whatever you prefer, yes. modest <laughs> gifts, small <laughs> gifts, they may be low-level, small, modest gifts. They may only come once a year. From a lot of donors, they come multiple times a year. It's not unusual to see people giving three, four, five times a year at, 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 at low levels. These are ideal plan-giving prospects. Um, and typically, we're looking for people who are about 55 and over. Okay. That's the time when you start thinking about your estate plan as a charitable vehicle. Okay. You should be thinking about your estate plan, your will, long before you're 55. But, although unfortunately a lot of people don't, but you should be. We all should have wills from the time we're like 25 or 30. (laughs) But the time in people's lives when they start thinking about it as a method of charitable giving, that's mid 50s or so.
1: Okay. And what about volunteers? You know, a lot of organizations have. Dozens, hundreds, some even have thousands of volunteers. Is that a viable prospecting market for plan giving? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. They're giving their time, (laughs) which is for lots of people more precious than money. Sure. Yeah. At least just as precious. So yes, volunteers are enormously good potential plan giving prospects.
1: Yeah. As an organization is starting out a program like this, what are, what are some landmines they need to watch out for? What, what, what mistakes have you seen made that you wish organizations knew about ahead of time to avoid?
0: Not getting going. That's the, okay. that's the biggest mistake for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Yep. Making it too complex. You know, you can get into charitable remainder unit trusts with makeup provisions. You know, that, those things exist, but you don't need them in your program to start. You don't need them in your program until you're like eight or 10 years into planned giving. Charitable lead unit trusts. Technical, yeah, for those things, you do need some technical advice. You don't need them in your planned giving program. And I, I said, you know, you don't, have to, you don't need these things until you're like eight or 10 years into planned giving. Andrew, you might never go beyond mm. charitable bequests. You might start the program there, which I you have to. I mean, that's just a place to start. You got to start there. And you might never go any further, never. And that is a very respectable planned giving program for the vast majority of, of nonprofits. You don't have to go beyond bequests. You can, there's all these technical things that are out there, like I've been naming, or even you know, less technical, life insurance, giving from IRAs, um, things like that. But you don't have to go into those. You could start and stop with bequests and have a very, very reasonable, respectable planned giving program that's gonna grow and sustain over, over years. It's gonna help you build that endowment. We haven't talked about the advantage of endowment growth for, through planned giving, but it, 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 it's there. Um, so yeah, those are the pitfalls I'd say not okay. getting started and starting way too technical.
1: So let's talk about that endowment piece for a second. I think oftentimes you know, if, if you're in a university setting or, or maybe, you know, healthcare or something like that, or the arts, endowment is a natural thing to think and talk about. But for so many other organizations, it's it's not, even, you know, it's not even on their horizon, right? How can a plan giving program help to seed an endowment?
0: Let's start with what endowment is. So that for folks who, sure. who's, whose radar it may not be on, they may not even know what, what we're talking about. It's essentially your organization's savings account. Endowment is a, is a fund that you put money into and you watch it grow and you spend very little of it. Typically, you see endowment spend rates around 3 to 5% per year. Now, in the pandemic, organizations that are fortunate enough to have large endowments have been dipping into them more than they would have in, in any other years previous. But in the typical, it's like 3 to five year, oh, three to 5% of your earnings, your spending. And hopefully, your endowment is earning more than that. But you're only spending at that rate. So it's, it's growing through the years. That's endowment. How does planned giving help endowment? Lots and lots. Most planned gifts are unrestricted. And I'm always encouraging clients, and I will do this for members of the accelerator, to put as much of those unrestricted dollars as possible into endowment. If your endowment is zero, you got to start somewhere. Put that first $5,000 gift in. Now you have an endowment of $5,000. In a few years, you'll have 50 or 100,000. You got to start somewhere. If you want endowment growth and you don't have it, you start. Start that savings account. So, and I understand the tension. There are immediate needs, especially now. A lot of people feel like they're just, you know, trying to stick a finger in the dike to to shore up, to get back to where they were pre-pandemic. I understand that. But to the extent you can, save some. It's, it's the same as we're counseled by financial advisors for ourselves, right? For our individual savings, right? You're supposed to pay yourself. If you can, to the extent you can, put these unrestricted dollars into endowment.
1: So let's, let's I, w- I want to kind of play off of that for a second because I think that's a really smart recommendation.
0: You do the same thing I do when I'm talking to guests on nonprofit radio. Like, digress, digress, digress. And then I, it's always my job to bring us back, you know, <laughs> And then sometimes I need the, the guest to remind me, where were we <laughs> <laughs> eight minutes ago? Where, 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 <laughs> what did I force you to digress away from? So, I, love no. I love it. Conversation.
1: I mean, so yeah, gifts. totally. Absolutely. Kind of the other yeah. side of putting as much of it, as much of those gifts into an endowment as possible. One of the things that I've come across a couple of times, it's always been painful when it happens, is I see organizations that actually budget in their annual operating budget for plan gifts and not not saying we expect to get uh, notified that we're gonna that we're you know gonna receive plan gift you know plan gifts down the road but actually saying like well next year you know this year we got half a million dollars in plan gifts actualized next year we want to grow that by 10 percent and get you know that plus in in the following year which seems to me really risky because we can't really predict when people are going to pass on and leave this earth Talk to us, if, if you can, a little bit about how organizations should think about forecasting for plan giving and what they should and shouldn't do.
0: What you described is enormously risky. I agree. That is not the way to budget for plan giving, uh, plan giving revenue. In the beginning, and we're going to, you know, in the, as I said, in the accelerator and, and all my work since 1997 has been startup plan giving programs. That's, that's all I work okay. with. Um, in the beginning, you can't, you can't forecast some clients through the years have budgeted a dollar or not not I shouldn't say budgeted but accounted 1 dollar for each planned gift just so that they have an accounting huh. line okay. for it. that they just they know that that expectancy is coming sometime when when that donor dies that's one way of doing it you know you can you can that's that's a conversation between like your finance office or your bookkeeper and your uh, development officer, or if in a smaller shop, might even be the CEO. You know, you you can you can track these things also just through your plan giving recognition society when you get started. So that's that's the place to have your members at, at the outset. But as your program matures, then it might become a bookkeeping issue. You might you might put that one dollar future expectancy in uh, for each gift, and then as m- programs mature beyond that. Then you can look at your history. You know, When you've got a 10-year program, you can look back and say, you know, how much have we realized through the years? Well, it averages $25,000, $30,000. So we'll, we'll expect that for the future. Now, adding another 10%, like you were suggesting, that's, that's just guesswork. Because we don't know when people are going to die. Right. It, 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 could, it could be 100% growth but budgeting for a 10% growth no if you're going to budget for growth in anything you want to hold your plan giving program accountable and say we want 10% more commitments hmm. so we've got we've got 50 commitments now we'd like to grow another 5 to 10 for the for the growing year for the coming year that's perfectly reasonable then you've got to be marketing against marketing and promoting your program against that goal but that's just new gift commitments that's not new new plan giving revenue. Those are two very different
1: things. That makes a lot of sense and it feels a whole lot safer. I want to go back to something you mentioned in that response around, I can't remember if you said it was a legacy society or a stewardship society or something like that. Yeah. Your recognition society. Recognition society. Yes. Uh, Is that an essential component of a plan giving program?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to be building those inside the plan giving accelerator. Yes. You have recognition societies for all your donors. Right, whatever whatever levels you have them at, you might have them at fifty dollars, or maybe for your organization, organization starts at five hundred or a thousand. Bigger organizations have giving circles at the ten and fifty and hundred thousand dollar level. So your planned giving donors deserve the same recognition. Create a planned giving recognition society, and I like to stay away from legacy society, heritage circle, legacy fund, you know i like to see something iconic to the organization hmm. it might be the year you were founded it might be the founder's name if you have a building it might be something iconic to the building or your campus something that's meaningful to your organization the the legacy circle heritage fund you know those are ubiquitous they they could be anywhere right. i like to see personalization in a recognition society
1: yeah i like that one other thing that I, that I often run up against with organizations, typically it comes down to who gets the credit, right? And so I'll have, I'll have fundraisers say to me, well, you know, I, I really don't want the major gift team or the plan giving team to talk to that donor because if they get a commitment, then I have to take that person out of my monthly solicitation stream and, and their, their giving is going to decline uh, because of that. Do you actually see that being true with most of the organizations that you work with, or do you see something different?
0: No. Yes. I always see something different. No, okay. I never see that happening. Look, I can't say never. Sure. Some donors decrease, but now I've been doing this again, 23 years, 1997. Most donors, if they change their giving after they make their planned gift commitment, they increase their giving. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because they feel so much closer to you. They've put you in their will alongside their grandchildren. Yeah. How much do they love your work? How much do they respect your values? They put you alongside their their grandchildren and their children, so they feel so much closer to you after they've done that. And you don't have to go by my 23 years of experience. You could say, "Well, he's got 23 years," but it's anecdotal. All right. Well, I I think 23 years worth of anecdotes is equivalent to some has some measure of value.
1: But I I would agree. Yeah.
0: But thank you. But you don't have to. You don't even have to rely on that. Um, Russell James. Sure. Professor Professor Russell James out of uh, Texas Tech University has research. Okay. Um academically journal proven research that uh, I think on average people who change their giving after making a planned gift commitment increase by I think it's 45%.
1: That's pretty staggering. Wow.
0: Okay. So that that is another misnomer misunderstanding like like you need technical expertise you got to spend a lot of money and you're talking about deaths. That's another deep misunderstanding that uh, planned giving is going to cannibalize your other giving. It's exactly the opposite.
1: So talk to us a little bit about once someone says, yes, I'll, I'll put you in my will, they go through the process, they fill out whatever documentation needs to be done in their estate plan for that. What do you recommend as far as like ongoing, engagement with those donors. I feel like sometimes organizations have the mindset that, well, we got the commitment, so we don't have to work as hard anymore. Do you feel like you can kind of throttle back on communication to those donors? Do you feel like you have to double down and do more? Is it stay the course? Like what, what's your uh, typical recommendation around that?
0: Treat your planned giving donors like insiders. If you have special communications that you send to your major donors, what does it cost to send some more emails or print, print, uh, print pieces to your, to your planned giving donors? Especially as you're getting started. You know, sure. we're going to have just a few and then we're going to get to a dozen. And then we'll have 25 and 50. Well, you know, even the, the increased costs of mailing U.S. mail to 50 additional people, when you know that the average charitable bequest is $35,000, that added postage seems and printing seems pretty de minimis. Yeah, so for sure. Treat treat them as insiders. If you are a local organization and you have enough planned giving donors in the recognition society, maybe you can host an event once a year. Um, you don't have to, but you could. If you're a, if you're more regional or national and your donors are dispersed throughout the, throughout too broad an area to do that, you don't have to do that. You don't have to spend money in big numbers to be heartfelt and genuine and sincere in your gratitude. One way I love to recognize people is remember the anniversary of the gift, the day that they told you about their commitment. It was one year ago today, you told us that you've included us in your estate plan. We remain so grateful, so grateful. They're gonna be blown away. People are every single time. Sometimes I do that in handwritten notes or a card. If I know the donor well enough, I'll call. People are blown away. They don't remember the day they told you that you're in their will. That's, that's they're not thinking of that at all. But they're they're going to be blown away. I guarantee you, they're going to be touched.
1: And it's so such that's a one simple thing. thing. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You, it, you, it's already in your CRM database. You right. can have the date. The date of the com, the date the commitment was made. Just track it year after year. It's so simple. So that's a real that's a real touching thing. You know, you may have their birthday, you may not. So you could recognize their birthday. Sometimes people in the in conversations that you're having with them will tell you what their wedding anniversary is. You could remember that date. You know, as, you, as you're picking up these little tidbits about people, you're taking notes, right? Or you're remembering. And then you're, and then you're debriefing when you get back to the office. So any of these anniversaries could be, could be good touch points. But even, even without that, even if you have none of that, well, you certainly have the date of the gift commitment. You always have that. Yeah. But in addition to that, just treat them as insiders. What, what communications can you share with them? Um, when you have your big event, if you have a big golf outing or a gala once a year, do you have a VIP reception afterwards or before? Can you invite your plan giving donors to that? Uh, if you have some kind of a theater event, can you reserve some seats, some VIP seating? Not that you pay for the seats. People pay, but they get a little, they get a, they get first row instead of third row. If they're a plan giving donor, can you do that? It doesn't cost you anything. It's the price of a little masking tape on the, on the seats. (laughs) keep people, keep other people from sitting there, right? right? You don't have to spend a lot of money to be genuine and sincere in your gratitude.
1: I think that's great. I want to talk a little bit about the kind of organizations that plan giving can work well for and particularly that the plan giving accelerator can work well for. So oftentimes when we hear stories about, you know, large requests and things like that, it's like you mentioned, it's the Harvard's, it's the Stanford's, it's the, you know, New York public libraries. What's the opportunity for the local Meals on Wheels chapter or the local Habitat for Humanity office? I mean, is there an equal opportunity or is there a scale difference uh, because of who they are?
0: Look, smaller organizations are less likely to get these million dollar gifts, but there's a lot of of giving to be done before you reach seven figures. There's a lot of potential giving. Again, the average charitable bequest in the U.S. is $35,000. And almost anyone can put you in their will for $5,000 or $10,000 or a percentage of their estate. Um, I've been doing this a lot of years. The smallest bequest I've ever seen is $1,000. And, and there's, those are vast outliers. There's been very, very few $1,000 okay. gifts. By no means is that the average I've seen through 23 years. But almost, well, probably anybody can afford... A thousand dollars in your will, but again that's that's the low low end, and i 've seen very, very few of those in all these years i 've been doing it. If you have wealthier donors, you, you know you 're more likely to get large gifts, but there's plenty of giving like I said before seven figures, even before six figures there's plenty of giving in the in the tens of thousands of dollars that people can do through their estate plan through their wills you, you have potential you have potential if you have. If you have consistent donors who are about 55 and over and your organization is about at least five years old you've got some plan giving potential
1: the organizational lifetime of five years or more what's special about that
0: we're asking people to include your organization in their will they need to be confident that your organization is going to outlive them (laughs) okay and in fewer than five (coughs) years you know there's a lot of passion of course and a lot of big hopes and bright dreams, but there's not really enough longevity. So i like to see at least five years to uh, allay the concerns of potential donors that your organization might not
1: last. Okay. And one other question about timing really, and it's a two-part question. I'm curious to know on the donor side, is there a time in the relationship, let's say you've got a donor who is new in a year and has given you three or four gifts already. Is it too early to start talking to them about plan giving? Do you need to wait a year or two to, to give them more longevity uh, of supporting you? Or is, is someone who comes in and appears from the data to be really hot about the cause worth talking to early on about plan giving?
0: If you have a good relationship with them, then and they're r- roughly 55 and over, then I would say it's, it's worth talking to them. Uh, I, it's not someone that I would market to on a more general basis. So if we're doing direct mail or, or email, I wouldn't include them in that, that potential donor group. But if you know them individually and they seem that passionate and they're roughly the right age, then I would, I would float the idea yeah okay,
1: okay and then the the second part of the timing question is really a question more about timing a time of year. like are there natural great times in a year to talk about plan giving, or is it one of those things that's that can be evergreen and you can talk about it at any point of the year?
0: It's more evergreen okay, you no, know, working with nonprofits i mean i'm I'm always sensitive to what their existing communications calendar is, so if we need to stay away from a, a particular season because it's there they've already got asks planned then you know we could we could avoid that season but calendar wise there's there's not uh there's not a good or bad time it's it's pretty much evergreen um this is this is longer term stuff you know you're not going to get someone to make a commitment right away you're going to drip this idea out and some people will do it obviously sooner than others but it's, uh, it's in a lot of ways, the, 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 the materials are more informational and educational. Okay. Although you are asking. I always want to see a solicitation. Would you consider including us in your will? Every piece, uh, okay. there is a direct ask. But the idea is longer term. Okay. There that will be some sense. people who will trickle in early, and that's the low-hanging fruit, and we'll be capturing those. And then other people will be longer term.
1: Okay. We're approaching our time together here, but I want to I wanna specifically get some insight from you about how people get into your Plan Giving Accelerator. What's the process? Is it something that they can get into at any point in the year? Is it a, a timed uh, cohort? How does that work?
0: You can join any time of the year. We are going to have different uh, classes starting every three months. So our first one is going to start October 1st. And then after that, it'll be January 1st, etc. So okay. classes or cohorts will move through together. The information is all at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. And if, if you want to maybe just dip your toe in the water without looking at the idea of the accelerator and, and joining that, I do have a, a how-to guide that's free that folks can download. It's very simple to get. Just text guide to five 56- 525.
1: That's guide to 56525, five, five, right? Yes. And that's Perfect. a
0: lot of my good ideas on how to get your plan giving program started.
1: Awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes too. Hey, Tony, Perfect. thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, Andrew, thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, this was fun.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the
1: information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.